0: Hey, today we're going to start a new series. It's going to be going in the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles with you, you want to grab them and turn to that particular letter to Colossians. Okay? That's after Philippians, and you see it in there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this little section here before we get into the message itself. And this is out of the letter that Paul writes to the Colossians in recognition of some specific needs that he's become aware of as a young man has come and shared with him these particular needs. He says, Paul, and I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people, and Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, When we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, and that has come to you, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. It's growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and you truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Father, we ask that you'll clarify to us today this simple passage that you gave Paul to bring us to an understanding of the necessity of relationships with you, with your son, with those who you call to be leaders. With those of you who with us within the church body, Lord, we pray that you might help us understand this passage and apply it personally to our lives. Uh, we want to be people of faith and people of grace and people filled with peace and joy. Uh, that's our desire. And we know that you've given us a pattern that we're to follow if we want to have that in our lives. So today, clarify it to us, remind us of it, that we can begin to work through the haze of this world that we have to walk through. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. When we talk about this passage, this is Paul speaking uh, to a particular issue in relationship to this church that he established in Colossians. And this young man who has been the minister uh, to the church, Epaphras, he has... Come to Paul and share with them, and now he's going to send him back to the church itself. I, many, how many of you have heard these simple questions? Uh, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? Okay. Uh, if God is all-loving, then why is there so much suffering? Yeah, you got that one in. If God is all-powerful, why does he allow all this inequality? Yeah, you get the idea. These same series of questions, questions that people bring to us that sometimes we find ourselves tongue-tied. We know the answer, but it's hard to get out. It's hard to clarify it at the moment that it's shared with us. I think in many ways, this same issue was taking place in in Colossae. These brand new Christians were there, and they were trying to figure out what it meant to walk in faith and how it meant to love one another, what grace is. And some new teachers came in and began to confuse them and lead them away from the true gospel that had been shared with them so clearly. You see, many people conclude that either God knows everything and doesn't care, or he cares but he just won't help. And over the next few months, we're going to be walking through this particular letter, and hopefully then you'll be able to go home and read through it by yourself, and you'll gain a better understanding not only how much God cares, but how much God is willing to help, how he wants to be involved in our lives in specific ways. And that you'll find yourself with the key to the answers to these questions, it'll just roll off your tongue. When people ask them, you'll find yourself going, oh, let me answer that one. That's an easy one. My God is involved in my life and the lives of others around me significantly, continuously, consistently. There's a great passage in 2 Timothy uh, that Paul hands over to Timothy. I think Timothy hand over to Epaphras. And the passage goes like this. I want you to read it with me. Okay? Hold on to the pattern of right teaching that you learned from me. Remember to live in the faith and love that you have In Christ Jesus, hold on, live in. Say that with me. Hold on, live in. See, that's the key today. What we're going to talk about today, all the things we're going to share with are about this. Hold on to the right pattern of teaching, live in faith and love. And that's the key that Paul is trying desperately to Teach these Colossian Christians. He's saying if you hold on to the right pattern of teaching, if you live in faith, love, if you express grace to one another, you will discover the wonder of God on a regular, consistent basis. But you must hold on Okay, you must live in. Hold on to the pattern, live in faith and love. Hold on, live in. You see, he's concerned that we remember the pattern that he taught us before. My wife likes to crochet into a number of different things and when she does this i look at her and i go how are you doing this she's whipping along here and i look at that it looks like just a mess to me she's putting all these things together and she's flying along i'm thinking and before i know it i watch appear before me miraculously a sweater and it appears miraculous to me i just go how on earth did you do that and i take a hold of it and i try to do it and i don't know the pattern and you know what happens when i do it right you got the... Uh, nothing. That's what happens. Absolutely. All right, you get strings everywhere, and she goes, I'm going to have to take the whole thing apart now, and she pulls it all apart, starts all over again. Paul is saying there's a pattern of teaching that when you put it in together in the correct manner, it will provide you with a warm sweater. It'll provide you with clarification of faith and hope and love. It'll provide you with the ability to live. It'll provide you with answers to all the questions that you have, but you must hold on. Use that right pattern of teaching it's always filled with grace it's always a declaration of who jesus is it's always him in the center and when you do that you'll be able to make wonderful wonderful things sweaters rugs blankets, you name it and you'll be amazed at it but it happens because you've learned the right pattern he says you got to hold on to this pattern there's no other pattern there's no other way to make it work anything else you do you're just gonna up with a bunch of knots going to have a bunch of things that don't come together or that easily fall apart. Hold on to the pattern. You see, the questions that we have aren't new. They're old. They've always been there. They were the same questions that Paul had when he first became a Christian. He goes off in the desert for years and works through the questions, and he comes back and he says there's a simple pattern. The pattern starts with the grace of God, the wonderful grace of Jesus that pours out into our lives everything we need and everything we'll ever need. He said the pattern always starts with the grace. Okay, quick history lesson. Third church planning journey for Paul. While he's on this journey, he established a church in Colossae. He meets a man by the name of Epaphras, shares with them, interacts with them, and they help to establish a church. Paul leaves after a while, and now Paul finds himself in prison. Epaphras, while he's here in Colossae, suddenly has a group of men come in and begin to give a new teaching. They begin to say in a very flashy way, hey, what you learned before wasn't quite right. A few things about it were a little mixed up. Let us explain to you the real way. And they began to pour forth a particular form of teaching that's known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism simply means to know. And it meant that they know something that nobody else does. It was a false teaching. It was false ideas. It's similar to a, a number of different teachings that go on within the church today that unfortunately people fall into. Flashy teachings, I call them. One obvious one is one called health and wealth gospel. Okay, and that is that God wants you healthy and wealthy. And that if you're not rich, the reason is because you don't have enough faith to follow God's direction. And let me tell you something, that's a lie. That is not according to the pattern of God's teaching. That is not what he said at all. In fact, if it's true, all the apostles failed to follow the teaching. There are no rich apostles. And Jesus himself failed to follow it because Jesus didn't even have a place to lie his head. He had no bed. He had no home. The health and wealth gospel falls apart when you begin to recognize the pattern of teaching that he set up for us. So Paul says, always remember the pattern. Put everything against the pattern. If it doesn't fit throw it away. It's a false concept. It may be flashy. It may look good. It won't work. It never has. It never will. And that's why he sends Epaphras back with this letter to clarify to them that this man whom Paul has set up for them is a man who loves them, who cares about them, and who has true teaching that can help them to understand how to walk with God, how to live in faith, and how to live in love. They are to follow this young man that is now their mentor, who is Paul's mentee, who had been set down through Timothy and Paul and others, and this process, this pattern has been handed down one by one by one. Follow the pattern. Hold on to the pattern. Live in grace and faith and love. It's so incredibly important that you understand this. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his books in relationship to Narnia, some of you are familiar with those, he, he uses one particular term there and he says this, remember the signs, say them to yourself every morning, the air will thicken, take great care not to confuse your mind, look for the signs, the pattern of right teaching. They'll come to your mind. The knowledge that the scriptures will give you, continue to clarify. And that's why Romans 12 tells us we're to be transformed and to allow our hearts to be changed so that we can hear the teaching, follow the pattern. I know I'm beating this up, but you guys, it is so important that we get a handle on this and we lose it so easily. We slide away so simply. Solomon probably the the greatest teacher ever known, followed out of the Old Testament, this incredible man of God who desired wisdom and understanding. And he cries out to God, and when he asks for a particular gift, and we read that, most of us understand him to say his wish was for wisdom. But actually, the words used there are lave shamia, which means an open heart. What he was praying for is that he would have an open heart before God so he would understand everything in truth, not just in his mind, but a mind and heart truth that would come to him in such a way that he would be able to relate it to life itself. What he was saying, what Paul is saying here, we need to hold on to this pattern. God, give me the pattern and then show me how to live in that with faith and love and grace. We're called to build these relationships with God's community, to establish our commitment to follow the pattern of God's truth. And as we do that within this community of the church, we begin to discover life and reality. This is what happens to you. You start in, you start to build a relationship with somebody, and you find out, lo and behold, they're a sinner. Okay? How many of you have found that out? Yeah. And you go, I don't want to be friends with them. They're a sinner. I go, really? You're kidding me. You're not one, are you? And we suddenly realize that our sinfulness tries to stop us from interacting in a relationship of truth with one another, of building a relationship that's built on grace and love and forgiveness and hope. And we run away and we go and we start a new relationship. Instead of continuing with that one and allowing it to grow and to build, and you find yourself with these phenomenal relationships that are 10 and 15 and 20 years in. You know, Merv could talk to you about that. Stay the course. Don't run away from them. Help them identify who they are, what they're about, the pattern of right teaching, living truth. Give them grace. My wife says, Lee, you know one of your biggest problems and pluses are? I say, No know what? She said, you're a grace giver. You always give grace to everybody. I said, that's what you're supposed to do. That's how you live life. That was the calling. It's about giving grace to one another. And I pray that they give grace to me because I will fail them. I will make mistakes. I will say things I shouldn't have said. And you know something else? I won't even remember that I said it. Put that one down. You can write it down. Pastor Lee won't even remember that he did this wrong thing to me. i either forgive him or I need to go to him and talk to him. And he won't remember anyway, so why should I bother? (laughs) Because I'll say, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to say that. If that was said, and you say it was, so I believe it was, but it was not my intention. My intention was to show grace and love and truth, to follow the pattern that God showed me and taught me and to consistently stay with those he placed me with. The letters from Paul, verse 1, it's chosen by God. He was an apostle and his brother, Timothy, who was also chosen by God to establish a church. It's written to God's separated people, his holy people who are placed in the city of Colossae. They're faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and they're living And grace and peace as God gives it to them. You see, Paul is trying to remind them that we all have a story. And we need to know our story. We need to know who we are, what God has called us to, and what that's all about. You see, some of you were born to be a rabbit and you think you're a turtle. And some of you were born to be a turtle and you think you're a rabbit. You are a special, unique person, but you're not somebody else. You need to discover your story, your identity. Who are you? Paul says, I'm an apostle called by God. This is a remarkable change in his life. You have to give the background on Paul and understand who he was and now what he's become as he's recognized God's intention and God's desire to him. He's saying people are seducing you by this false teaching. You need to discover who you are before God. And it's all about grace and peace and faith and relationships and interactions one to another. You've been born again into this brand new family. All of you, holy people, brothers and sisters. Recognize it. Stay with it. Stick with it. Identify who you are. Paul's in prison People could have said, how can you call yourself an apostle? You're in prison. He says prison has nothing to do with it. Circumstances have nothing to do with it. They simply clarify to you what it is you're supposed to be doing with the place that you're placed. He was not without direction, but he found himself in prison and he had to change what he'd been doing. He was a church planter. And suddenly he finds himself becoming a letter writer to churches. Because God recognized it was far more important that Paul write these letters than he continues to church plant and to go around you know, from country to country, from city to city, from place to place. Paul resisted it. See, I believe one of the main reasons Paul was in prison is because he wouldn't stop. You laugh, but I'm looking at each of you and saying, are you stopping? Are you allowing God to do what he wants to do in your life? Because if you don't, He will stop you. And if that means putting you in prison, if he do it to Paul, guess what? He'll do it to you too. He will stop you and say, I have an intention for you. Who are you? Identify who you are. And you identify who you are within the context of the group that God places you with. And if you keep running from the people that God places you with who are trying to help you identify yourself, you'll never get to the place that He wants you to be at. You've got to identify yourself. You've got to identify who you are and what the destiny God has for you. Paul identifies himself. I'm an apostle. This is what I'm called to do. He continues to lead, but now he does it to writing because that was God's directive. But if you would have asked him six months before, he would have thought you were crazy. God's going to put you in prison. You're going to write letters. He would have laughed. That's not my calling. I'm called to plant churches. Look what God has done. Marvelous things. He's going to continue. And then he finds himself in prison. Paul has a brand new name. It's interesting that his old name was Saul. His new name is Paul. I think of Saul. He's the king in the Old Testament that refused to follow God's will, refused to stay within the context of the relationships that he had given him, refused to do what God desired for him to do, refused to yield to his mentor, the prophet that God had placed before him and with him and over him. And because he refused, he ended up in complete disobedience to God's will and in complete disarray in relation to his family. Even his own son recognized he had become disobedient to God's will and direction in his life. Paul says, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle called by God. And I need to tell you a few things that you're going to need to learn through this letter. He says, but first of all, I want you to understand something. I always, me and Timothy, we thank God when we pray for you guys. We have heard of the fact that you have wonderful faith and you have this incredible love for all the saints. And what he's saying here is that you need to understand your relationships. We're reminded once again, affirm others around you and the special relationship you have because I will not know you for a few years. Isn't that interesting? It'll be a few years before I know you. Some of you I've known for 8, 9, 10 years and I know who you are. Good and bad. And some of you don't want me to tell you. Many of you know me now. I think of Jack here. <laughs> good to see you, buddy. Colorado. He left me for Colorado. Okay, Jack Tistammer over there, yeah. His wife's up there still, so he, he looks kind of lonely right now. <laughs> but he does have mom with him, so that's good. You know, it's, it's like, man, big deal. Jack and I have known each other for too long. You know, it's been wow, twenty plus years. Don't we don't know the years. Do you remember Jack? How many? It's been a long time. We were young then. <laughs> and and God, after we moved back here, just some ten years ago, Jack, uh, who we we continued to build a relationship with, kind of came down here. I never expected him. He lived in Anaheim. He drove every Sunday. He and his wife drove here because of his relationship with me and with my wife, mainly because of Mary and Kathy. Let's be truthful about the whole thing. (laughs) But they had this wonderful relationship that had continued on. We moved to Minnesota. We came back. God called us together. And they drove from Anaheim here every Sunday faithfully involved in this church because they understood that relationships more important than anything else. Knowing who it is that's ministering to you and guiding and leading your life, that is so important. It's so incredibly important. The word person an individual, help us to understand this particular thing. The word person is the word from Greek, prosporon, and it means face to face. So use the term person means face to face. In Africa, they say, they, they use the term, I know you. And so you get close to someone, you know, when I go back and see my buddies, they go, I know you, Pastor Lee. I know you. And I go, yeah, I know you too. And there's this wonderful embracing of our spirits as we recognize what has gone before, and then we get a chance to share what's happened since then and get caught up on it. Interesting enough, the word individual, the word individual means separate or apart. It's individus. So when you say individual, you're really talking about being divided separated. It's not a positive term. It's a negative term. So when the scripture speaks to the issues of people and relationships, it's talking about this idea of recognizing and discovering our true identity one to another. That as I know you, I begin to understand who you are and what you're called to do and to be. And as you know me, you understand who I am and who I'm called and who I am to be. And God verifies that. And our purpose as a church is so simple said, so our purpose as a church is to love one another, to lead each other into a relationship of Christ that's personal and productive and powerful. And our purpose is to love one another within that context. And that is so hard in our present society because we run off after months and we run to the next teacher and the next preacher and the next flashy thing and we go back and forth. And I want to tell you, that is the worst thing you can do. You will never experience what God wants you to experience and understand who you are. You'll never experience the wondrous grace and truth of God until you have that within the context of the community of God, the community of His church, that only takes place over time. It only takes place over time. Interaction one with another. We learn to hold on to the pattern and live in faith and love. Say that with me. Hold on and live in. So that's the key today. Hold on and live in. We need to learn our story, the unique purpose that God has given us. The tendency is to try to copy someone else or to be like somebody else or to fake people out concerning who we are and try to get them to come to the idea that we're something other than we are. That is not God's intention. Who you are is who you were meant to be. Experience it. Enjoy it. Live in it. And show grace and truth and love within it. You see, in the midst of this, we find ourselves changing people's lives, often unintentionally. And we will run into people, but i run into people that I knew 25 years ago, and they walked in and they say, Lee, do you remember when? Let me tell you now. And we go, wow, look what God has done. Strangers who become friends, and you have lots of them. We're going to watch this simple little clip called Strangers, and then we're going to have Marty share. Great. Mm. that's reality. That's what's going on all the time. Things happening constantly, how God is tying everything together with those who are following the right pattern, who are choosing to hold on and choosing to live in. And it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. We identify who we are. We identify the relationships of those whom God has placed us with. And we give grace and we share truth, and we're involved in this interesting process. So I find myself going, well, what exactly is faith and hope and love, and how do they work? And that's the next thing Paul walks into it. He says, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. It's that same hope that you have already heard about in the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's come to you. And when we talk about the issue of faith, I, I, I broke it down. I said, well, there's at least three different faith perspectives that I've begun to comprehend as I continue my walk with the Lord. And the first one is the most obvious, and that's called saving faith. Saving faith. We receive that. So saving faith I received. And Galatians says, before this faith came, we were all held prisoners by the law. So saving faith is the simple response... To the reality that Jesus died for me. I I believed it. I recognized that he died on the cross. To pay for my sins. For my penalty. That he desired to have a relationship with me. And that if I asked him. To come into my life. And forgive me for my sins. He had the ability to do that. And he would. So I did. And he did. Saving faith. That's how my walk began. Some uh, 30 840 years ago mm. that's when it began saving faith a relationship with Jesus and with God as my father it's faith in what god has done so that's the first aspect of faith saving faith faith in what god has done then there's what i call living faith living faith is when we begin to respond to what god has done so second thessalonians 11 says by his power May he fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So faith prompts us to respond. It's an active response to the truths that we find in God's word. And we act out those directives from God regardless of the responses of others. We've been talking about that in our last series, that we, that we learn how to experience a wholeness of of life in response to what God has said is right and true and we begin to do those things and act in those ways. It's faith in what God will do and I trust him to bring about the best as I live out his truth in relationship to giving, in relationship to forgiving, in relationship to loving because those are things that we tend not to want to do. And so I act in faith. I say, well, God told me this is the right thing to do, and I do it, and then I experience the result of that. I live it out. So it's faith in what he will do. I live it out. And then the third aspect of faith is called the faith, the faith. So in Acts 6, 7, it says, The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The faith. It's the body of doctrine which is provided for us in the scriptures, clarifying truth about who Jesus was, what he did, how we to live life, how we're to respond one to another. Who is Jesus? Who is God? All these things are referred to as the faith. Hey, okay? And faith always works. Say that with me. Faith, faith always, always works. works. One more time. Faith always Always works. works. So hold on and live in it. Hold on and live in it. Faith always works. You see, the process is that by which we begin to share and watch people's lives be changed. And if there's a person that's perfect to share that truth with you, it's Marty. So I'm going to ask Marty to come up right now, and he's going to share a little bit about Mm. what God has been doing in and through him. He's going to keep it really short, though. Uh
1: Which is a miracle.
0: Yeah. yeah. He hasn't even got his mic on. Yeah, I did. I turned it It's in it your on.
1: pocket? Yes, right there. You're doing Can, good you yeah. right. Can you hear Can me you now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. You're right. doing commercials on us. Thanks, well, buddy. Well, uh, by faith, in 1985, I went to the Philippines for the first time. And that trip changed my life because we saw thousands of people respond to the gospel, baptized close to 6,000 people in the rivers, and the canals, and the oceans. I'll never forget it. Changed my life. And now 35 uh, countries later, 28 years later, uh, uh, I was in Nepal last September, and uh, just tremendous things happened. It was the second time to go there, 1960, no Christians, closed country. Uh, By the year 2000, there were 400,000 Christians and 2,000 congregations of the Lord's people. And I had gone there a year before. And then again, this last September, I was there, and I had this large Evangel cube. I've got three boxes of these today, by the way. Come here, hon, please. This is Becca. Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is Becca. And I found her in Nepal, too, on a phone call 9,000 miles away to South Carolina. And, uh, but anyway, I want, she has the small one. And this is the large one. I have to put this together when I go to a country. So last September the 7th, I was in the restaurant downstairs, 7 o'clock in the morning. There were nine young people who were in a college course. Their English was good. They were studying hotel management. And they saw me put this together. See, each one of these cubes, these small cubes, has to be put together. I can't take it like this in my suitcase because it's too big. But they helped me put it together. I finished. I said, you want to hear the story? They said, yes. Jesus um, we have our sin separated from holy God. Jesus is the answer. They put him in the tomb. Uh, Becca's my Vanna today. Uh, they put him in the tomb. Satan thought he had won. But he came forth from the grave victorious over death and sin. He's worthy to be your Savior, my Savior. I'm abbreviating this very much, of course. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six, right? And right here is where we ask people to pray with us. Jesus said, you receive me, you have eternal life, reject me, eternal separation. So right here is where we get people to pray with us. And I, these nine young people were right there, dressed in their hotel stuff, you know. And and I said, you want to hear the story? And they said, yes. So I told them about Jesus, just like I just shared, but much more information. And all nine of them gave their hearts to the Lord. It was just so incredible. That was on September the 7th. The next day, September the 8th, three young men came to me and they said, we heard you gave our friends a Bible. I said, yes, I did. They said, can we have a Bible? I said, yes, come to my room. <laughs> so they came to my room, I shared the gospel, and those three gave their hearts to the Lord. The next day on September the 9th, my birthday, 74 years old, two more young men came. They said, we heard you gave our friends a Bible. Can we have a Bible? I said, yes. Come to my room. So they came to my room, shared the gospel, and those two gave their hearts to the Lord. So on my birthday, God had given me 14 people. That was worth my trip to Nepal, dear ones. I'll tell you. And when those kinds of things happen to you as you're sharing the gospel, it's incredible. Last summer in Rwanda, we used this tool with 300 African (laughs) pastors. And in three days of preaching, we had 14,485 decisions. And we had paper on all those. So I want you to be encouraged to share the gospel and establish relationships with people um, so that they can come to know Jesus as you know Jesus. On that trip to Nepal, my lady's sister-in-law I've traveled with before, uh, Lorraine um, Floyd, Floyd, uh, she she knew that I was praying and saying, Lord, please bring a godly woman into my life. And so she said, I want you to meet my sister-in-law. So we called from Nepal, 9,000 miles away, and I chatted with Becca. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, can I call you when I get back to the States? She says, okay. So I called her when I got back to America. And that first night, you guys, we talked for two hours. (laughs) I felt like a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the next night, it was an hour and a half. And we just talked and talked and talked on the phone. It was just so incredible, finally to the point that I took her to Ruth and I said, will you go with me where I go? <laughs> and she said yes. And so I praise God for this precious lady. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and <clears throat> <clears throat> And I, I want to thank you for helping us get out there. I mean, <laughs> this lady was, was healed of cancer, T-cell lymphoma, They expected her to die. Uh, Maybe some of you need to talk to her today after the service. But, I mean, she is a teacher of women, and uh, I'm just so blessed to have relationship with her. That's more than just husband and wife, but it's a team effort as we share the gospel. Amen? Amen? Amen. I love you.
0: And Marty will be down here later. Those of you who want to hear more about that, obviously, Marty's an evangelist. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Okay? Missionary called by God. And he clarified that before he was serving as a pastor, went on the mission field, and went, oh, my goodness, this is who I am. This is who I've been called to be and God verified that and has used him so much in the years and years to come. If you like to hear his story more, he's going to be down here after the service. Those of you that may not know the Lord, come on down. He'll help you come to know him. He has a marvelous ability to clarify. What's that? Yeah, and he's got the cubes. He said, "You can get some of those cubes, no problem." He says he says he wants to give them out to everybody. You can even buy them, you know? You can even give him money for it so that he can get more so he can give them more. Cuz that's what Marty does, okay? Now, he has this lovely wife with him. I notice his energy has gone up about 50%. <laughs> Great. Relationships, so very important. You know, I've known Marty myself just for about 10 years, but what we found out is that we were actually at the same church that Mary and I were married in. He was there attending at that particular church that we got married in. I didn't even know him. I had no idea. Later on, we met and we were able to talk through all the different stories about what God had done and relationships we'd gone in and through. Marvelous, marvelous truth. So when we talk about the relationships, we talk about that, the aspect of the perspectives of faith. And then there's some simple perspectives of hope. Hope. So Timothy says this interesting thing. He says, Tell them to hope in God and not in their uncertain riches. You see, so once we have these faith perspectives, it moves us to this sense of hope. Actually, they kind of go back and forth. These are somewhat circular. Faith, hope, and love feed off one another. They keep going in a circle. There's no specific one that jumps to the other one. They each one uh, guide us to the next one. So the directive here is that, that Timothy's trying to give us is this concerning hope. He's saying God will step in when you step up. See, hope is understanding and recognizing that God will step in when we step up. We hope in God, not in the stuff that we have. We don't depend upon our finances. We don't even depend upon relationships with others around us as much as we love them and and are encouraged by them. But we depend upon and we hope in God. And hope is this confident expectation. Uh, When I had cancer here a while back, I would go every day to get my radiation treatments, Eh? Okay? And I really love doing that. Do you believe that? I don't either, okay? No, I went with what I would call worldly hope. I knew that I needed to do it, but I didn't go there with expectation and eagerness. I went there with a the recognition that, Lee, if you want to continue to live, you're going to have to go down to that machine and let it zip you and everybody else leaves every day. That's the funny thing. They hook you into the harness, do you, all, do you all up, and they said, see you, and they leave. And that's when you know whatever's happening, nobody else wants to be there. <laughs> and you go through that, and you do that day after day, week after week, month after month, and finally, they say, you know something? We killed it. It's no longer growing in you. And I go, that's great. Wonderful stuff. But confident expectation with Eagerness is that it's an I can't wait since. See, I played ball most of my life, and I couldn't wait to get to the ball field. I couldn't wait to get. I think, look over here to Heather Fleshing. She can't wait to get to karate time. It's like, yes, I love this. It's, it's something I so much enjoy doing. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's discipline. But I just, I love it. And that's the hope of the gospel. Confident expectation. Eagerness. What is God going to do today? How is God going to do it today? That's the picture of hope that we live with. It's hope that's not spoiled by disaster. It's hope that in the midst of difficulties and struggle we go, I wonder how God's going to pull me through this. I wonder what he's going to do to turn this into something good. Because he always does. And that's Paul's hope in prison. That he discovers, wow, look what God did. Because I was faithful and I recognized the hope the joy that jumped in my heart the day I met Jesus and changed everything. And that hope stirs me up and I go, okay, Lord, I'm expecting this. I wonder what you're going to do today. It's the wake up in the morning where it used to be good Lord morning and now it's good morning, Lord. <laughs> what's going to happen? I literally wake up every morning and go, what's going to happen today? And we start the process to find out what God wants to do. The hope of the gospel I will win if I work it out. That's the hope. I will win if I work it out. Say that with me. I will win if I work it out. That's hope. That's the hope that God gives us. And then it moves us to these perspectives of love. Because hope is like a trampoline for faith and love. We jump up on it and we respond in faith. We jump up on it and we take actions of love. We begin to love people and love those around us even when we don't want to. So this is my commandment that you what? Love one another. That's the directive. And I have this hope in me and I find that I'm changed. And when I respond, I go, wow, that's incredible. I actually care about them. I actually love them. What happened? And what happened is I'm being transformed because I'm paying attention to the pattern that God gave. And I'm being knitted into the sweater of God to give other people warmth. And I go, oh my goodness. People say, Lee, you are... I say, "Ah, Lee is nothing. The wonder is what God is doing. And we're becoming what we were meant to be as we respond in faith and hope and love. And that's why Paul started with the identity of Timothy and himself. And then he moves to Epaphras. He is their mentor. They are his mentees. But they're all called by God in relationships. He says, I do your calling. ID your relationships and recognize the fruit, identify the fruit. He says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. It's growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and you understood God's grace in all its truth. And what he's saying is here is he says the grace is the truth fruit, I call it. Grace is the truth fruit. We always, we're so struggle with this idea of grace because we want to pay for something. We want to pay for it. And God says, you can't pay for it. It's free. I'm giving it to you. Now give it to somebody else. God says, That goes against everything that I understand. God says, I know. But that's the glorious wonder of the grace is the truth fruit. And you give grace one to another. And you watch God pour it out into other people's lives. And they are changed And people say, I know you're a Christian, not because of the stuff you do, not because of the way you wear things, but because I recognize that you choose to love one another and you pour out grace one to another, that you're not perfect, but you're always praying. You're always focusing on the pattern. You're always trying to live out these wondrous things. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and he told us of your love in the spirit. So we respond with grace and the wonder of it when people ask us why doesn't God, we're able to share with them why he doesn't and what he does. And we find ourselves responding not to the circumstances in life, but the wonderful ability that God gives us to deal with those circumstances, to handle them even to rejoice in the midst of them because that is the grace of God that transformed our life. He taught them the truth. Apaphras said about grace and about love and about faith. He is their mentor. Paul saying, learn from him. Don't follow other teachers. They will fail you. They're a flash in the pan. Don't do it. Epaphras may not be the best teacher you've ever known, but he will teach you the truth. And what he says is worth listening to. So listen and learn and yield and then you'll grow as you build relationships with one another and within that context understand who you are and begin to experience God's grace and power and wonder because it's not about me, it's about we. And that's the gospel. That's the glory of God. And so we go right back to the teaching that we started with. And he says this, hold on to the pattern of right teaching that you learned from me. And remember, live in the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Hold on, live in. Say it with me. Hold on, live in. Father, this morning we come to you because we are people who tend to stray away. We tend to let go. We don't hold on. We get irritated. We let go. We run away. We do the very thing that will hurt us the most because we just we just have this tendency. Our hearts are dark. And it's hard to allow you to work through us. Today we ask that you might work your will in us. We admit we're sinners. Oh, Lord, we know our problem. But we believe that you are the one who can solve that problem. That you are the one who died on the cross so my sins could be plailed away, taken away, cleansed from my life, that I can experience wholeness in you and that as I confess and commit to you as Lord and Savior, my life will be changed and I'll become the person that you always intended me to be. Today, Lord, we ask that you might do just that. Teach us how to hold on to the pattern of right teaching. Ah, Lord, show us and then allow us a privilege of loving one another in grace and truth and building those relationships so that we might be seen and recognized as your church. We ask that in Jesus' gracious name. Amen. 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 And we're going to hear a few songs here. I want you to listen what God has taught you today as we kind of close up here. We'll take an offering after the first song. Um, Aaron will lead us in that whole process. Be able to share what God has directed us to share. But I encourage you, follow the directive God-given as we continue through this studying Colossians. I know God's going to teach you some wonderful things. Read through this section today, continue to work it, and you go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize all that was there.